Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are live from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadu here tonight with... Akosia Ochre. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, New Patriotic Party flag bearer hopefuls line up to file nomination papers ahead of the Saturday deadline. We'll tell you who is yet to file. Also coming up, please arrest the coach who assaulted a female referee in the northern region over the weekend. Tonight we talk about the safety of referees on the pitch. And later on Eyewitness News, a Northern, Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NEDCO, disconnects power to a water-producing company. You can call it a clash of utility service providers. NEDCO disconnects Ghana Water Company Limited for non-payment of bills. Interesting twist, isn't it? We'll be going live to the northern part of the country to hear uh, what exactly the situation in the looming power water shortage in the communities of the north. Still 97.3 CTFM for more on these and many other stories on Eyewitness News and in business. Mobile money agents lament revenue losses following deactivation exercise. That's in 15 minutes from the business desk of CTFM and City TV. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Adrinpa 100.7 FM in Takwa, Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi, and Sky Power 93.5 FM. In Takradi, also on Greener 95.9 FM in Suyani, Focus 94.3 FM in Kumasi, Orange 107.9 FM also in Kumasi. We are also on Revival 99.3 FM in Tajavu, on VOV Radio 95.7 FM in Hohwe, also on Bimbila Radio 91.9 FM in Bimbila, on Quality 88.7 FM in Garu, Upper West. We are live. On Tungsun 97.3 FM in Wah and Jirapa 96.1 FM in Jirapa. Do send your messages on 0549-986-996 or send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. We are live on YouTube, we are live on Facebook, we are interactive on our platforms. Do join us with your views and the world will hear what you think about the big stories coming up here on 97.3 City FM. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Akusi Aotri. We're broadcasting from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, in Accra. Let's start off with sports, shall we? The lead story on citynewsroom.com is coach arrested for attacking referee during Division 1B match. Now, the background to the story is that uh, the coach... Um, okay, so let me just give you a quick story that has been published on the website, uh, which has to do with this particular... Uh, attack on the referee uh, after a game and we are told that this happened just in the 38th minute of the game actually let me give you the background from someone who saw it all unfold Abdurrahim Musa is a journalist based in Tamale and uh, he was actually 
uh, that game. Um, Abdurrahim, you're welcome to Eyewitness News on CTFM in Accra. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure um, to join your uh, platform. We are grateful. Tell us about this game. Uh, of course, you were there to cover it. I'm sure you didn't expect what you saw, but what led up to that level uh, of the fisticuffs that we've had, or at least the attack, the assault? Okay, um, I think uh, it was a game um, in Regional Division 1B League. Um, a match between Tiyumba ladies and then uh, soccer missionaries. So the game traveled to somewhere about um, 38 minutes when the incident happened. And this was how it went. Um, at the point when the incident took place, the assaulting team they were leading by a goal to nil. And then there was a ball that the two, a, a striker of uh, soccer missionaries and then the defender of Tiumba, they were chasing the ball. So there, there was much pressure on the defender. So the defender hit the ball straight to the goalkeeper. So the goalkeeper grabbed the ball. And per football rules, when that happens, an indirect free kick is awarded to the opposing team. So when the referee whistled for that foul, um, they didn't take it kindly. And then the person in question who assaulted the referee happens to be the owner of the club. He's a coach as well as the, uh, the owner of the club, uh, Idrisu Napare. So it resulted to some, um, some fight among the players themselves. And then when Tempest was, was cool, the referee came and then to for play to resume. It was then that um, the owner uh, and the coach approached the, uh, the center referee, uh, Nasara, and then was raining insults on her. And then she quickly uh, cautioned him uh, for, for dissent. So she gave a yellow card, and then uh, Coach Kubli didn't take kindly to that. He quickly just went to the referee and grabbed the yellow card from the, the card from the referee, and then hit her to the floor. So she got up again and then moved backwards and then showed a red card this time around. And Tempest just fled and he was everywhere hitting the girl. Uh, people who were around actually did everything possible to stop him. He's a face, he's someone with uh, so much physique. So anybody that comes to stop him, they will hit the person. So the person also have to go back and come again. So that was how it happened. And it lasted for some time, quite some time. Uh, it was there that uh, I was present to cover the game, but unfortunately I sent to a rescue team because I had to run straight to the referee. I was the one who grabbed the referee and took the referee off from him and then took the referee out of the scene. So that was just what happened. And it was basically about the, I mean, the, um, the indirect free kick that was awarded against his team. So uh, that was basically what happened. I see, which means that they did not have any history together. It was simply because of the game, as he saw it, which he didn't like the way it was going. Yes, um, for that um, coach, there have been so many instances where he has, uh, one way or the other, um, attempted, I mean, um, attacking referees in the past. So he has a lot of history to that. So, but I wouldn't say it's, for that, but this one, I believe it was only because of that particular game and what transpired that led him to, I mean, go to the referee, who is a female premier referee. She actually a premier, a premier referee, and then uh, attacked her that way.
what was the reaction from the officials who were officiating the game, uh, other referees or other uh, officials of the FA who may have been at the scene? Yes, uh, at that place, the only uh, appointed person who was there was the match commissioner. Um, and then, obviously, those of us who were also there as journalists and then uh, supporters who were also around. So the supporters, even some team uh, were doing some kiffy. There was some kiffy team that was also training. They had to abandon their training and then also rush in there. So it was something that was that would have just uh, led to something bad if um, uh, something wasn't done about it. So I believe everybody was furious and angry. Uh, he even had his uh, his van. Uh, he has a van that he used to carry his players to the field. Uh, even some of the supporters were threatening to, I mean, set it ablaze. So, but, um, so the anger, the anger to, was against the coach, against not the, not coach. the referee. It was, yeah, it was against the coach. Everybody knew very well that what has happened uh, didn't merit what she did. So people were at him. I mean, trying their possible to, 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 I mean, to harm him there, but. Uh, others were of the opinion that they should uh, just uh, allow the law to work and then not to, them, uh, not to I mean, uh, get themselves involved in the law. His own players and his side of the of the pitch, what was the reaction from them? D did they agree with what he was doing? The players, I mean, the players, they even started the fight. Uh, it was one of her players, she was wearing jersey number 10. She, I mean, attacked one of the opposing side players and then they were into a serious fight. So that even made the center referee to give that girl, that player, a red card, uh, and she was sent off. So the players at the point, uh, but when the beating was becoming too much, as, as young girls, they themselves became furious, and then they were even trying to stop the, the head coach, and then he, had to, he was kicking some of them off. Uh, the pitch. When you said the beating was became serious, it means that it was a serious beating. Yeah, it was. It, it was. I mean, um, I've, I've been a journalist for almost 20 years now, but I'm telling you, I've never seen, I mean, such an act in football before. I mean, that kind of beating in football before. And anybody, my colleague journalists were there, some of them were hit to the ground. In an attempt to stop him, he hit them and they had to fall to the ground. Were there so, no police officers on, 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 on the scene at the time the game was being played? No, no. You know, the regional league, um, we don't usually have uh, police personnel around. It is when you have, I mean, the Division 2, the men Division 2, when it gets to certain stages where, you know, obviously, tempest can rise. That's where we often bring in the police. But this one, no, nobody expected, I mean, such an act to, I mean, happen in that particular league. Because it's a Division 1 B-side league. The men, the Division 1A, e, they have finished. They are those who, who qualify to the Premier. That one is done already. So this one was just another preparation stage for the girls so they could also um, join the, uh, the Division 1 male one. So uh, no one expected that such, such, such a thing would have happened. What do you think this would mean to footballing in that part of the country and again at that level itself already i would uh, presume it wasn't it's not an attractive you know competition and now to see these beatings wh what do you make of it what, what would people generally make of of what happened would that reduce people's interest in the games you think 
I believe um, it will depend on the outcome of the, I mean, the court, uh, the, the, the police issue. I mean, when the matter gets to the court, it will depend on the outcome that we we'll get. If, I mean, the, the, the sanctions sanctions are properly meted out to him, uh, it will also even end up sanitizing the game. Because these things, we often hear them, pockets of these incidents often happen. But when people push it, I mean, to that level, you will hear, I mean, sometimes people come in to plead or to do things. But this time around, when punishments are meted out to this uh, culprit, I believe it will go a long way to sanitize our game. So I believe, obviously, there will be some people who may even, I mean, because of that, will tell their girls not to go for refereeing or whatever. But I believe at the end of it all, it will end up shaping our game so that uh, we all have something to show and point to when someone is, I mean, trying to um, engage in that act. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you very much. I'm grateful. That's Abdul Rahim Musa. He's uh, a journalist in Tamale, based with Supili FM, uh, Supili FM in Tamale. He covered uh, that game, at which game the referee was beaten, and uh, he's just recounting for us what he witnessed. Let's speak to referee Alex Kote. Uh, He's head of referees at the Ghana Football Association. Ref, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. The police have since arrested uh, these gentlemen. Uh, we are told that the arrest happened today. Earlier, the police had said they were looking for him. We are told he's currently been arrested. So, of course, that's the natural cause of action, and that has happened. But generally, how do referees feel? Do you feel safe? And again, does this come to reinforce any fear that you may be having on the football pitches, or this is just one off, and it's not a regular thing that referees get attacked. Thank you very much, and let me just do a quick um, correction here. Their name is Kuti, not Kuti. So we have Alex Kuti, and we have Alex Kuti. Apologies and for so, that, sir. <laughs> no problem. No problem. You are welcome. Okay. Yes. And so yes, um, we we got um, wind of the story um, of the incident. Let me put it that way. Of this incident over the weekend. And let me say that this this lady who was assaulted um, was 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 on the lines for the women um, super cup. I mean the finals of the women's game uh, between Hazakes ladies and uh, and people that were ladies. She was an assistant referee on that, and she's a, a very young referee. One one of the catch them young referees that were. Were, were recruited some three years ago, and she's been performing very, very well. Um, for me, for me, um, I I describe the act as barbaric and 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 very, you know, unhuman. I mean, I would not see any human being who will go to that extent of 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 beating a girl child to that. I mean, it's it's bad, and 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 we condemn it, you know, totally. I mean. Uh, Yes, and so, yes. Okay, so when I heard the story, I had to follow up with the head of referees in the region uh, for an update. And so um, I kept um, asking from time to time to get an update. And so in the morning, I, I got information that they were looking for him. And so just this afternoon, I got another information that he has been arrested. And so um, we, we, so we are struggling with getting these girls 
into refereeing. I have to be very frank with you, especially not, you know, the northern part of, of Ghana. You know, they think that their girl's child should not go into this into this hobby or let's say into this profession. And so if we have a few of them who, who are committed and dedicated to, you know, to this profession, we think that we need to protect them and protect them very, very well. Um, so I, I was listening to the journalist who spoke earlier. And for me, yes, I mean, if you go to the regional football association, when it gets to women, this um, women, Division One and other stuff, I mean, the, 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 the security arrangement is not as high as when you want to play in your Division One, the main Division One and the Premier and that sort of thing. Okay, and so that is one area that over the years we have we have not been too much, you know, we, 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 we've not concentrated there, you know, because we think that at that area, uh, you have a lot of such incidents, and more especially when it has to do with, uh, you know, a women game. I mean, we 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 hardly hear of such, such you know, incidents in the women game as compared to the men's game, you know, and so for us, uh, we it, 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 it came to us as a surprise because of some of these things, but then so, so for me, I think that going forward, mm. what 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 we have asked the region to do is to pursue this matter, make sure that at least we we set an example, we use this man as an example um, to others who 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 would also even want to think of going or maybe performing such acts. And so we are on the ground and we we are we are urging our the, the regional football association to ensure that this man is brought to book, at least if some jail sentence is passed. And for this one, we wish to plead that um, people should not intervene. I mean, they should let the, 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 the processes and the, and, the, and the law enforcement agencies work. I mean, that is the only thing, or that's the only way we can bring some sanity into our game. And so if such thing happens, and then you, you get people going to play, the, you know, chiefs and, you know, you know, all sort of people going to play on, the, on, on their behalf, then, of course, we, it will consider. But then if an example is set, for me, this man should be used as, a, you know, as an escape good. And, and uh, we, he's punished if he's punished his jail uh, by a certain period of months or years. I think that it will, it will help. And then it will also bring some sanity into our game. So you've mentioned that a lot of protection doesn't happen at the lowest level of the league. Is that, mm. is that correct? Is that a policy by the FA or it's simply because of lack of resources? Exactly, uh, exactly. It is not a policy by the FA. It's simply lack of resources. You so you can't send policemen, for instance, to go and, and, and be there to provide security because you can't pay them. Or probably, because maybe you don't have to pay them. Have you, do you know whether the, a request is made to the police service and the police is unable to grant it? Do you understand how security is provided at this at this at this stage? No, no, no. But at, 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 at that level, no. Um, um, we don't have much responsibility over there. There are referees that 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 deals with the um, um, security agencies. So, so as as referees, all you have to yeah. do is wear your shorts, carry your whistle, come and supervise the game. As to whether there will be security, generally, is the job of the FA. It, yes, 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 it's the job of the FA. But then, just like I was saying, 
at the at the at the regional level, it is the responsibility of the regional football association to ensure that there's there's safety. I mean, as as for me, I would not even look at security in it. Well, but then safety, of course, is also under security, and and it is not safety to only match officials to everybody who comes to watch football. I mean, everybody should be safe. You, you understand? If it, it, it should be journalists should should be safe. I mean, if a journalist is going to cover a match and it's not safe, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So, and so generally, it shouldn't be for referees, but it should be for everybody who wants to go and watch football. And so it is. it should be the responsibility okay. of the RFAs to ensure that at least everybody who comes to watch a football match is safe. As, as an association, um, having seen what happened this weekend, is there a new measure you're going to put in place to protect your members moving forward? Of course, we, 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 when we talk about measures, I mean, the, the GFA, the RFAs are, are putting a, a lot of measures. And so that is why if you realize if, if, if you followed football for a very, I mean, for this period, you realize that the club licensing is ensuring that safety at our stadium becomes a paramount. I mean, it is, it is, it is one of the Essential, you know, when you want to talk about football now, and so the club licensing through through other agencies. I mean, there's this collaboration uh, between the Ghana Football Association, the police, and the military. All these things, I guess, we are we are we are getting towards ensuring that the safety of everybody at 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 our stadium is you know is protected. You see? And so once in a while, you you get somebody going out of you know out of the way to do certain things. You understand? Uh-huh, you know, but, but but then if you follow again, you realize that over this few period, you realize that hooliganism, you know, at our stadium has gone down. You understand? You get one or two incidents, you know, from time to time, as compared to, I mean, some years back where you see people being, you know, assaulted here and there. I mean, it's gone down. All is because of measures that the club licensing board and the FA and the RFAs have put in place to ensure that, I mean, safety and security, you know, is adhered to at all our stadia. And that is the most important thing. Thank you so much. But before you go, let me just clarify this. You are head of referees at the FA. Does it mean at you the are... the Ghana Football Association. Good. So head the... of referees, Ghana Football Association. So does it mean... Okay, so you are an administrator of the Ghana Football Association, not an association of referees in Ghana. No, 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 no. So this is this is a GFA person. You are a GFA worker. That's right. That's correct. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. I'm grateful. Thank you. That's referee Alex Cote. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Referee Alex Cote. He's a uh, head of uh, referees at the Ghana Football Association. Let's hear more from the FA at the regional level. The Northern Regional Secretary of the Ghana Football Association is Abdul Gafaru Mikashini. Abdul Gafaru, you're welcome to. Eyewitness News. I believe by now this would have come to your attention informally, even if it hasn't come to your attention formally. What steps did your 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 local office take immediately? This news came to your attention. Yes. Um. um currently, you know, currently, Ghana Football Association did directly. So, with regards to all regional football associations, to end um, by 18th June. Um, so a lot of um, associations are just um, doing towards that um, deadline. So with regard to that issue, um, 
I don't know the regional football association. You know, when they are matches, uh, we have match coordinators or match commissioners at the bureau centers. We have uh, media um, um, coordinators at the bureau's league centers. So, you know, we, have, we are using the game center um, approach. So we have two game centers in Northern Region, the Calendar Game Center and the Stadium Annex Game Center. So the incidents um, took place at the Stadium Game Center, Trey, uh, at, um, just near the Ali Mama Stadium. So we are at the Calendar. I was at the Calendar Game Center. And I had a call from one of our um, match coordinators um, at that center. Um, so he brings us what is currently happening. So we rushed to that place and met that unfortunate incident. But um, from Saturday um, evening, around that time, um, one of the executive council members of the Northern Regional Football Association, we call them expo member, um, he was in charge with regards to the hospital issues with the research manager for the region and also the regional um, association members. So we really took the lady to the nearby police um, hospital, that is the Tamale Technical University um, clinic. So that was where she received treatment um, until they discharged her yesterday. And the moment when the thing happened, you know, uh, we reported it to the police. They took some statements from the lady and some pictures. And later, uh, the police were now looking for the coverage, but unfortunately, it was not um, available to be found. And until yesterday, um, the, um, um, the police headquarters they also issued a warrant um, in collaboration with the Ghana Football Association and the Regional Football Association. With regards to security issues, I must be uh, honest with you, the region is doing very well. This is the only incident that took place this year in our uh, March center. Given the just recent um, legal delay, the regional football association chairman himself, he went to Kamina to meet the police, uh, military commander. So we're using military at the various centers for the first legal And so it's... Um, oh, oh, various centers, including the center that this incident yeah. happened at? No, the middle lake, you know... Um, okay, so, pa so, so for this level, you don't have any level of security at all, do you? No, we have the local level arrangement. You know, this one, when you are playing at home, you know, this um, it's a low-level game. The, the match was Division 1B, Women Division 1B, smart. So that was the we setting. So we're not expecting such kind of even thing to happen. We have been playing there. It's a lovely thing, but we don't know what happened and what came to his mind and we took the loss into his own house. But we have our local arrangement with regards to security at the various centers. You know, most of the time, each club, especially when you are playing a home match, you need to provide security for the game. And that because they are low-level issues, uh, most of them do write to the police to seek for security uh, at the match center. So that was the issue that um, led to that. It's unfortunate. Moving currently, currently, the court is with the police. Um, currently, I'm just at the police headquarters. Yes, um, I'm still with them, and I just um, took my little time to rush back to the office to finish. You know, we went there at 2 o'clock, and we are still over there, but people are waiting for me at the original 
Okay. Do, do you do you know this coach does what at the personal level or at an administrative level? What kind of yeah. person is he? Is this someone who you would expect to do something like what he did, or this no, will be like out of the blue? We don't, we, like he's someone that uh, he has women. He has, I think, he's one person who has many class in the region. Look, he's having division two class. He's having women division one. A class, women division one B class, the seven juvenile class under 17, under 15, and under 13, and under 8. And so it's surprising that this caliber of person would do that. And he was even part of our various football, some of the committees. The Sanargo Municipality Football Committee, he is the chairperson for the women's football in the committee um, at the uh, minister level there. Did, did you and speak so to him? Did, did, did you speak to him off record? Do you have any understanding of why he behaved the way he behaved? Has he given anybody any information? Whatsoever? No, because of yes. Uh, when the thing happened, uh, you know, his phones were available to him. But even though he was hiding, he was writing on social media platforms. You know, the regional level, we are having WhatsApp pages for various um, competitions, Division 2 platform is there, Women Division 1. Uh, women's class association class country is there. So he was there writing an apology um, in the WhatsApp group pages. Um, since until today, this afternoon, that um, um, they were able to find him. Ideally, he sent himself to the police station um, in accompanying with um, some other members. You know, he sent himself to the chief palace. You know, as our northern here is uh, because. Um, you can't just go to the chief palace direct to arrest someone. Yeah, so they gave, when they realized that he was there, um, the people were now uh, uh, spying up. And they realized, he realized that, um, no, they may come for him. So they decided that the chief palace decided to um, let the men send him to hand him over to the police. Um, I don't know if currently we still with the police. Since the incident happened on Saturday, it's today that uh, we are able to see him. Just before you, you, you came on the line, I was speaking to the head of referees at the Ghana Football Association, uh, your parent association, and uh, he was worried about the phenomenon where chiefs and other opinion leaders would go to intervene. He doesn't wish such a thing happening this time around. Now that this gentleman no. had gone into hiding at the chief's palace before eventually no, being arrested, no. are you sure that justice would be delivered properly? No, 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 no. That thing will not happen. Because um, even uh, at Northern Region here, um, a lot of people are very mad on that incident, that issue. So I don't think that kind of thing will happen. The laws will really work. Okay. Um, I don't think that kind of thing will happen um, in the region. Because ideally, um, the thing is, everywhere, even at the police station, people who didn't know him that was even further. They came there to just see who the person is. I see. Moving forward, do you have a game this weekend? And will this thing influence your games in any way? What well, new no, steps? On so what are you going to do different this Wednesday to ensure this is not repeated at any of your centers? Yes, um, we are, you know, we have a good collaboration with um, the military service and the Ghana police service at the regional level to make sure that our refugees, you know, you know, security are not at the mass center to protect police refugees. They are there to protect both home and away from the, um, the refugees, 
that, that is the match I think that I supported. Uh-huh. So, security sometimes people normally look at it different with the only be for match officials. No, security is there to protect everybody, both two clubs, match officials, and including their supporters. Because there are instances that the supporters can decide to at least invade on each other. Um, so, we are doing our best to try to still continue the good work we have been doing in the region. Our regional chairman is doing his possible best. Day in, day out. He himself personally goes around to monitor matches. He always engages with the leadership of the um, the military, even the police service, with regards to providing security of our freedom civilians. All right. Uh, l l let's hope that this is not repeated. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Oh, thank you, Umaro. It will repeat itself again. We hope so. That's uh, Abdul Gafaro Mikashini. He's uh, Northern Regional Secretary of the Ghana Football Association. Uh, some more information on this. Um, you've heard that this particular coach, uh, you've heard the, the, the regional secretary explain that he's a very important figure for them in the region. It appears that his importance is going to go down because I have two letters here. One by the Sanarego Municipal Football Association it's addressed to him, who is, and he's a chairman, uh, and he says, relieved of position. Uh, the disciplinary committee sends our regards and right officially to relieve you of your position as a chairperson of the Women Football Committee of San Diego Municipal Football Association following an incident of human brutality you were involved in in the regional women division, 1B competition. The decision is to safeguard the reputation of our association and also to put confidence in the women's game of our district. The vice chairperson shall act until further notice. We take this opportunity to wish the affected referee a speedy recovery. This is signed by Baba Nuhun, disciplinary committee chairperson for the San Diego Municipal Football Association. Another letter I have, Northern Regional Women's Football Club Association. And he is a vice treasurer. Uh, his name is Idris Udnapari. He's, he's, a, he's a coach who assaulted this referee. And the letter is addressed to him. And it says, relieved of position. The Executive Committee of the Northern Regional Women's Football Clubs Association sends our regards and rights officially to relieve you of your position as an executive member of the association, which and you are an assistant treasurer, with regards to your physical assault on a referee in the Regional Women's Division 1B competition. This decision is to protect the image of the association and also to put confidence in the women's game in the region. The association takes this opportunity to wish the affected referee a speedy recovery. Thank you. Signed, Yusuf Abdul Salam, Association Secretary. So, there you have it. Um, Mr. Idris Napari, the coach who assaulted a, a referee, a, a female referee over the weekend in Tamale, has been fired by two associations that he's holding executive positions in. The Northern Regional Women's Football Club Association, of which he is the vice treasurer, and the San Arigu Municipal Football Association. He is a chairperson there. He's been fired by both. He's currently uh, with the police answering questions over the action. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We'll be back with more. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. 
You're welcome back. Now, an NPP flag bearer hopeful, Dr. Ifri Yakuto, has stated that he is undeterred by the large crowds that gathered during the filing of nomination forms by some of his competitors. After submitting his own forms at the party headquarters ahead of the June 24 deadline, Dr. Akutu expressed his indifference towards the use of buzzed supporters by other candidates. He chose to submit his forms accompanied only by core members of his campaign team. Dr. Akutu, however, expresses gratitude towards the delegates, including constituency chairmen who voluntarily gathered at the party headquarters to show their support for him. Addressing the press, he urged his supporters to remain focused on his candidacy and not be swayed by what he described as artificially inflated crowds brought in by other candidates. Today marks a landmark in my journey to bear the flag of the new patriotic party. And with that, to lead this country into our future prosperity. Let me say here that everybody who has come here, including representatives of farmers, are here on their own accord. You can't see any bus or any big commercial vehicle bringing in people to come and support. People have come on their own volition and of their very tight conviction that my candidature for the flagbearership of this party will be good for the new patriotic party and will be good for the people of Ghana, for which I'm very, very grateful. With a heavy downpour this morning, I thought I would just come with my team. But if you look at the teaming crowds which have gathered here, including the farmers, including well-wishers, and the huge uh, turnout of the media, it really shows that the people of Ghana are interested, interested in the politics of Ousofia. So that was NPP flag bearer hopeful Dr. Free Akoto. Meanwhile, another a new patriotic party flag bearer hopeful Dr. Kofi Konedua Praku has returned his completed nomination forms after being asked by the party's elections committee to update his forms. Let's go to the man who has been uh, in charge of the process so far. He's the director of research and elections at the new patriotic party. Is Evans Nemaku. Evans, you're welcome to Arena's News. Thank you. First of all, I believe the big story from there this afternoon would be the issue with um, Dr. Kofi Konodapreku's forms. What was the difficulty and has that been rectified? Well, my pleasure for having me. Uh, I'll say good evening to your listeners. But for me, the, the big issue is that uh, the prospective candidates of the party who have been leading members who have gathered the courage, the confidence to participate in the whole electoral process, uh, have started submitting their nomination form. For the party's timeline, they have up to 24th of this month, which is the close of the nomination, to submit their form. But we've had some of them uh, submitting ahead of the closing date. And so for us, it's a process that is very transparent, that is very open, and the committee is ready to provide the level playing field for all the prospective candidates to go through the various uh, processes. 
the committee is chaired by Right Honorable uh, Michael Quinn. We have other members assisting to ensure that the new Petrosian Party is able to organize a very successful presidential primary. So, my brother today is, is part of the, the day's activity to ensure that the prospective candidates are able to submit their nomination form. Okay, and so the problem with doctors' forms, we're told incomplete. What were they supposed to bring, which he failed to bring? And we're told that that has since been rectified, if you can just confirm that. Okay, so when when uh, a certain candidates uh, procure forms, it is expected for him to have a document from 160 people across the region, party members in good standing, meaning that you need to have in each region 10 people attending your nomination. You are supposed to sign a declaration to ensure and confirm that all the information provided uh, are nothing but the truth. You are also to sign a contractual arrangement with the party. You must also attach to the document you are submitting your personal CV, your certificate in terms of academic certificate. You must also have a provision in, 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 in the documentation where you spelled out your vision and plans for Ghana. You must also indicate your contribution towards the party. So these are some of the things that prospective candidates are expected to attach to their document. Also, to let us know that you are a registered voter, you are, you are a full-blooded Ghanaian, and you do not owe any allegiance to any other country apart from Ghana. So... When forms are submitted, uh, initial interrogations are done uh, to ensure that your documents uh, meet the checklist provided by the rules and regulations set out by the National Council. In the case of uh, Dr. Preku, when the forms were scanned, we realized that some few documents were not attached and he was asked to make sure that uh, it, it is made full before it will be admitted. That was how come he took leave of the committee and returned later with complete document which was received. A certificate in terms of receipt was issued to the payment of the filing fees and, and everything was done accordingly. I see. So far, how many have successfully filed? Well, so far, I would say that the five of them have been able to file. We've had Mr. Lanchematin, Dr. Baumia, Mr. Shematin Jakun, Dr. Koto, and Dr. Preku. The others have also indicated that in the course of the week, uh, they will file their nomination document. As I said, they have on or before uh, 24th of this month, which is Saturday, to file their nomination. So uh, the committee is working. We are open and making sure that you provide for each of them uh, the level playing field and ensure fair and transparent conduct of our presidential primary. Very well. Wish you all the best and thank you for speaking to us. Thank you and God bless you. God bless you too. That's Evans Nimaku, He's Director of Research and Elections at the New Patriotic Party. Let's talk about the NDC now, shall we? Yes, the flag bearer of the National Democratic Congress, John Dramani Mahama, has taken a swipe at the High Court 
over its decision to hear the trial case against James Jachikwesen Daly. The High Court ruled for the perjury and forgery trial against the former Member of Parliament for Sin North to be heard daily. Beginning Tuesday, June 20, 2023, the court turned down a prayer by Quason's lawyers who sought to have the trial continued after the Asin North by-election slated for June 27. The Attorney General, Godfrey Iwadame, argued that considering the charges leveled against Mr. Quason, he could be convicted and jailed if found guilty, hence the need for an expeditious trial. But the ruling, according to John Dramani Mahama, is absurd. Because of the hatred for Jatikwesin, they have taken him to court and they are saying that they are going to jail him. Now the court is saying that he should come to court every day. Not even criminals who have committed murder are treated this way. Murderers are not told to come to court every day for their cases to be heard. Namwan's case has been in court for almost three years. This case is not even heard on a daily basis. What has Jatikwesin done to you? Has he killed someone? Has he stolen someone's money? They can get him a mat at the court for him to sleep there. Even if he is not present on the day of the by-election, he will still win. You had... Voice of flag bearer of the National Democratic Congress, John Ravani Mahama. Now, down south, the electricity company of Ghana, ECG, has been on a campaign to disconnect, disconnect customers who have not paid their bills. The Ghana Water Company has been doing the same. Up north, NEDCO has also joined the campaign disconnecting people and persons and businesses who have failed to pay their bills. Today, NEDCO went on location to disconnect someone who has also been disconnecting the Ghana Water Company Limited. Maxwell Kutuka is a NEDCO communications manager and he's joined us on the line. Max, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. You didn't have any sympathy for your, your brothers in the utilities world? Thank you very much. Good evening to you. Good evening to your um, cherished listeners. Um, as to whether we had sympathy for our colleagues or not, um, I think we have had a lot of sympathy for them as colleagues in the utility uh, industry because uh, if you look at the debt, the quantum of the debt and uh, uh, how long it has been there, you will notice that we have been overpatient and uh, oversympathetic. But the fact remains that whatever is chasing them is the same element that is also chasing us, and I'm sure that they themselves understand even better than probably you and I. So what was your crime? They did not pay their bill. Did you write to them, prompting them to pay? They didn't mind you? Uh, I'm sure you are using the word crime advisedly. Advise yes, I'm using crime to just mean their sin or their offense or their wrong. So I'm saying you are using advisedly. Yes, so on that call, yes, we agree that, um, yes, we have been partners at this business for uh, as long as we have both been in business. So... 
It's a routine thing we do. We submit bills. We send demand notices from time to time. But uh, on this occasion, uh, we think that uh, probably we need to give them uh, a more, a more something by way of a reminder that is beyond a subtle one, uh, just to jostle everybody from perhaps um, some level of lethargy. So what's the way forward now? Is it that you shut it down completely and, and they will not operate until when? How much do they have to bring before you, you reactivate them? My brother, well, you see, when you connect it to operate, then it's as if we are preventing them from operating. And then we begin to look like the bad ones who are not making people get water. But that is not the issue. All we are saying is that the power that has been used has been used to produce a certain outcome. That outcome has been made available to others to, to buy. And so if it is that water companies collecting the money for, for the water they produce, then it only stands to reason it's fair, prudent, and um, decent that we also get paid for the power that contributed to that produce. So as it stands, all we are asking for is payment for that which has been used. Um, I am sure that we can get into some talks uh, at the appropriate time. And uh, if we get one, a decent amount paid out of that which is owed, two, a very reliable and acceptable payment term to both parties, mutually acceptable to both parties, but that which will be a win-win uh, for both parties, we definitely will understand and restore the power. We have always insisted that when we, we disconnect institutions or even individuals, we stand to lose. Because at the end of the day, the power that we have paid to bring cannot be distributed for money. So it's not in our best interest within this disconnect. So if they come and pay tomorrow morning or even this evening, they are ready to pay, we will talk and get it resolved as quickly as can be. Very well. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. Thank you very much, Mark. That's Max Okotoka. He is the communications manager for the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NETCO. They've gone to disconnect the Ghana Water Company's treatment plant in the northern region, in Daloon uh, treatment plant, because they've not paid some 39 million Ghana cities. We made contact with the Northern Regional Office of the Ghana Water Company Limited. We are told that uh, we're told by the office there that the response will be coming through from Accra. We've made contact with the Accra head office. Uh, we've been told that a response would come up later. This is Eyewitness News. I have to make way now for Netele Netele, who's bringing us the latest in the world of business. And then we have the business um, festival, the on-air series, coming up next. Please stay. Good night. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Every market movement and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News powered by citybusinessnews.com. Let's settle for the details now. The Mobile Money Agents Association of Ghana has expressed its concerns over substantial revenue losses following the deactivation of approximately 9 million unregistered SIM cards by Telcom firms in compliance with a directive issued by the National Communications Authority. The move to deactivate the unregistered SIM cards was part of NCA's efforts 
to enhance security and prevent fraudulent activities associated with anonymous mobile numbers. Joshua Edmondson, the National Deputy Corporate Affairs Manager of the Mobile Money Exchange Association, in an interview with City Business News expressed the association's worries regarding the financial implications of the deactivations. Uh, since uh, from last year coming, I think there was a there was an engagement with the Ministry of uh, Communication, that's uh, the Honourable uh, Minister Osler's office, and uh, we made all these things uh, bear to them that look, we are losing a lot of revenue, and they themselves are equally losing revenue. And whenever a call is placed, you know, our government is able to generate something out of it. So it has, but we are hopeful. We are hopeful that all these people will go back and work hard and get their SIM cards. And once that is done, I believe that it will be restored. But sincerely speaking, yes, it has affected but we hope that they work out and get it. Joshua Edmondson is the National Deputy Corporate Affairs Manager of the Mobile Money Agents Association of Ghana. Government has indicated the need for Afri-Exim Bank to strategically position itself to meet the dynamic needs of the continent. Government knows that although the bank has contributed enormously to the growth of African businesses, the global shocks of the COVID-19 pandemic demands that the bank expands its social mobility to ensure Africa regains its economic resilience. Finance Minister Ken Oforiata made these comments at the 30th AGM of the Afri-Exim Bank in Accra. Our aspirations must be to build on a deeper sense of shared responsibility and ensure institutions are supported enough to crowd in trillions of dollars worth of financing into Africa. Indeed, of a mandate that combines social, economic, financial, environmental goals under the guidance of Professor Rama, we can contribute an incredible amount of work toward our collective goal of achieving a prosperous Africa within the next 30 years of the bank's existence. In 1961, Korea's GDP was $82 per capita, and 60 years later, 2022, it was $33,400. We have 30 years to equip this achievement for our 1.3 billion. In essence, our ambition must be to ensure that we position our bank as a bridge, standing forward so that our people can walk across a place where they have a better sense of agency about the cause of the island. And as we contemplate the effects of the recent public crisis and deliberate on the future of our Exim Bank, it is increasingly clear that now is the moment of fierce agency to deliver on our bank's vision of building prosperity and improving the fortunes of 1.4 billion lives on our continent. That was the Finance Minister Kelo Furiata speaking there on his part. The President and Chairman of the Board of Directors at EFRI Exim Bank, Professor Dr. Benedict Orama, opined that the, African, the Pan-African Bank has committed over $45 billion to pursue strategic investment to combat the effect of the global crisis on the continent. This event dramatized for basic needs of food and health care. It also exposes an inadequacy in financing these dependencies in times of emergency. It is to the credit of those who founded our first impact that the catastrophe that loomed was averted. From the break of the pandemic in 2020 to the internal crisis in 2022, the bank has disbursed over $45 billion into the continent, which enabled many governments, central and commercial banks, corporates and SMEs to weather the combined effects of this 
That was the President and Board Chair of Afriexim Bank, Professor Benedict Oram. And that's it for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajaho. Have a good evening. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. to another edition of the City Business Festival 2023. Our on-air series, we are in our third week focusing on retail and consumer market. We're also talking about production. So it's, it's a lot of things working together. Today, I want to look at the changing scene of the Ghanaian retail market. And my guest is no stranger to the business festival. Michael Koto is the lead partner of Confidence. And Confidence have been doing some very important work in the uh, various sectors that they operate. We know, for example, they do research and analytics, they do strategy and advisory, they do project implementation and project management, they also do evaluation and audits, and then they work in many markets. It's a diversified international advisory law firm supporting companies, governments, and international organizations. Michael, have I represented your company well? Absolutely, Bernard. Thank you very much. You always do interesting work. I was looking on your website and saw some of the interesting insights you glean from Ghanaian consumer markets. So when we look at the Ghanaian consumer market within the retail space, how is it looking? What are your opening thoughts? Thank you very much, Bernard. And uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, to join the City Business Festival. You guys have sustained this program and, and every year you make it richer. And I, I want to congratulate all of you at CTFM, it's always a pleasure for us to, to join from confidence. The subject matter for our discussion today, I think, is, is really interesting. Um, so the retail sector uh, today, I mean, it's, uh, I'm going to be talking about, you know, uh, some findings from some recent work that we've been doing at confidence. And today I will talk about uh, what we've been trying to profile how the retail sector is evolving. And there are three main dimensions that are emerging. And, you know, this is going to take you through some of the interesting trends and dynamics that we're seeing. For the longest time, uh, the retail sector in Ghana was, of course, dominated by what we call the traditional retail sector. So you're talking of your Makolake, ATI, your corner shop, your community markets. Those have always been the dominant uh, retail segment in Ghana. Uh, and they're still very important. So we'll talk about them. The second segment we'll talk about are the big supermarkets, which have been uh, a big growing phenomenon over the past decade. And the third uh, dimension that we, we've been studying that we'll talk about is online retail. So, so these are the three, traditional retail, the big supermarkets, and, uh, and online retail. And So, so would traditional retail include the corner shops because you mentioned KJT and Makola, these are the big ones. Yeah, these are the big will this include the, the, shop, the, the corner the shops? Markets, all of them. Wonderful. And this will also include the hawkers on the streets. The hawkers on the streets, yeah. So that's traditional. And the second is the big supermarkets, the big retail chains. And then the third one is the online, online retail. retail. Wonderful. So what have you noticed? So I'll, I'll start with the traditional uh, retail sector. The, it's, it's still the largest and the dominant segment because, of course, that's where majority of Ghanaians uh, shoppers buy their, their goods and services. And 
because we have a very large informal sector uh, to our economy, this is also a huge uh, employment uh, uh, sector for our economy. A lot of people are doing retailing businesses. So it's still the biggest and, and, and the, the most dominant segment uh, of our retail uh, sector. Now, over the past decade, there have been uh, interesting trends, especially with a big supermarket and online, which are beginning to impact traditional retail. And uh, some of the assessments that uh, we have heard analysts make, especially in the last decade, when we saw the rise of big supermarkets and online, uh, a lot of assumptions uh, that we've seen uh, market analysts uh, uh, make and predictions were that traditional retail was going to see a gradual decline because they were going to lose market share to online and the big supermarkets. And there's evidence that some of that has happened. But the, the, some of the recent studies we've done at Confidence, uh, it's beginning to suggest that uh, this assumption uh, that traditional retail was going to see a decline is a premature assessment. Uh, and there are two main reasons. Uh, the first one is that the sector is actually quite resilient. So what we've noticed is that it's not a zero-sum sort of competition between traditional retail and the other two uh, sectors that we look, subsectors that we're looking at. What's going on is, is that traditional retail is actually beginning to take advantage of online to extend its reach and reduce its cost of doing business. Right, so that's a very interesting, interesting trend we're seeing. So there are a lot of people who have shops; they have the traditional uh, retail shops, but they're beginning to take advantage of online channels to extend their market reach, to reach new market segments that they could previously not uh, not not access, and it is expanding their, their 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 markets and their market share. So that's happening. The second trend that we've noticed is that some of the segments in the traditional sector that were beginning to lose market share to the big supermarkets, for example, are beginning to recover their market share. And the main reason why they're beginning to recover their market share, and this is a trend that's begun to pick up in the last year or so. And the main driver of this is because the GRA is beginning to pursue very aggressive taxation of the big supermarkets. And as a result of that, uh, a lot of consumers and a lot of buyers who are very price sensitive are beginning to move back to the traditional retail shops. So a lot of the big supermarkets used to have superior pricing for certain categories of products. But now that the GRA is pursuing aggressive taxation and forcing them to uh, uh, to, to price uh, uh, taxes into their into their into their retail pricing, it's it's making them price uh, incompetitive. So a lot of a lot of buyers are beginning to move back into traditional retail. So traditional retail is because a lot of it is informal and semi-formal. They enjoy some sort of tax arbitrage. So they have pricing advantages because a lot of, 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 of traditional retail is essentially zero tax or low tax uh, segment. And, and this is beginning to drive some consumers to move, uh, some consumers who have moved to big supermarkets to start moving back to, to, to traditional retail. So the resilience of traditional retail 
is being reinforced by some of these recent trends. And our position is that it's quite premature to begin to forecast that the rise of big supermarkets and online is going to lead to a decline of traditional retail. That's not what we're seeing in some of the recent uh, uh, market studies that, that we are undertaking. So it's a very resilient sector. Is the, is the resilience product agnostic? And by that, I mean, you, you're doing this for general retail. You are not categorizing yet. The, the studies we've done so far have not categorized it to that uh, uh, fine detail in terms of you know different product segments. But there are some initial indications. So certain product segments have been resilient for the longest time. I mean, food staff, certain uh, fast-moving consumers have consumables have always been cheaper in the traditional retail segments, right? There are certain uh, products that were much cheaper in the supermarkets that are becoming more expensive now in the supermarkets because of taxes. And, and we're still profiling to try to, to dig in and compare, you know, pricing and see exactly what these are. But the trend we've seen is that it's really across the board. And things as simple as bread. If, if you go to, to some of the big supermarkets, uh, you, you can buy a loaf of bread for as high as 25 cities, 30 cities. Um, it's, you know, similar loaf of bread, you go to uh, your corner shop and you can buy it as low as 15 cities or even 10 cities. And, and a lot sometimes the, the price increase as a result of taxes are very high. So it's really across the board. Uh, but we it will be interesting to see in very fine detail how uh, uh, these uh, actually materialize across different product segments. Our view, I think the initial signals we're seeing is that it's really across the board. Um, to corroborate your point about the effect of tax, we were looking at the Bank of Ghana's latest economic data. And if you go to the segment on high, they call them like, um, let, let me give the, the right name for that. They call them high frequency indicators, economic indicators. They, they show the relationship between retail sales and domestic back collection between the beginning of January 2021 and May 2023. The, the slope of the VAT collection curve is very steep and is rising, but the retail uh, uh, graph is flat, suggesting, and in fact, the, the VAT spiked from the beginning of this year. So it, it tells you that there, there really is a tax effect on retail sales. But that also suggests to me that more of the, the big supermarkets are captured in this data than the, the informal, because exactly. The, yes. Exactly, so retail overall is not necessarily dropping. Um, I think what's really good is a displacement uh, from the taxable retail sector to the non-taxable retail sector, and there's a lot of that going on. Um, so, so the, the, I think the data is fascinating, but my, my my comment on that would be that it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, retail, uh, the retail. Of course, there was a big inflation last year, so some of that is showing in the data. I think a lot of people slowed uh, consumers, you know, purchasing uh, uh, power dropped. 
and retail sales naturally drop. Um, but I think that was that's mostly a cyclical thing. And over the long run, it will rebound. Um, taxes, I think, will force a displacement from uh, the big supermarkets, which are easy to tax, to the largely informal traditional sector, which are, which are very difficult to tax. What, wonderful. So can we go to the next one? So you spoke about the traditional. Uh, yes. So the, the big supermarkets have always fascinated me because that's where your work has been largely focused on. And I, I, I think your, your research has shown some very interesting trends. Just from a casual observation, I see some of them are expanding very rapidly. And I noticed, for example, that Melcom is doing different sizes of outlets now. So I see smaller outlets, I see big outlets, but there seems to be some renewed aggression within some of the brands. What are your observations about that sector? The really fascinating thing in the big supermarket sector is, is that if the big foreign players are, are leaving the markets and the, in, the local indigenous Ghanaian supermarkets are expanding, which is really fascinating. So Game exited the market, Citidia has exited the market. And whilst all of this is happening, uh, the likes of Melcom and Palace are expanding aggressively. So it raises a lot of questions. Is it because uh, uh, the market is not growing fast enough? Uh, why, why were the big players leaving? I, I, what's really going on is that the big, the big foreign players imported a lot of foreign business models uh, into the Ghanaian retail sector. They failed to adapt to, to the local market fundamentals. And, uh, and, and as a result, uh, they've not been able to compete. Now, the local supermarkets, uh, on the other hand, have grown organically uh, with the market. And, and that's the big differentiator. So, for example, a lot of these big foreign supermarkets came into the Ghanaian market on the basis of certain growth projections. There were certain assumptions that were made about uh, the rate of growth of the retail sector and the rate of you know, growth of the size of the middle class. There, there was a lot of that assumption that informed the influx of a lot of these big supermarkets. But over the course of time, it's clear that those expectations were out of sync with the market fundamentals in Ghana. And that the, 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 the competition that has really gotten it right is, is the likes of Melcom and Palace, uh, which are technically local Ghanaian players. So that's a big, big, big uh, 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 revelation. Now, you're, you're right, of course, Melcom and Palace have been expanding aggressively. I think what's going on is that they are consolidating their hold of the market territory. So as the foreign players exit, um, the, 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 it creates you know, more space in the markets. And I think a lot of them are thinking ahead and they're deciding to consolidate you know, their hold on the market. And I think that's good. Um, you, you, one of the interesting trends, the like of Malcolm, and you, you did allude to that, is that they are they are rolling out this mini mini mart models. So it's almost like the, you know certain mini Malcolms. You take Malcolm for example, there are these mini Malcolms uh, emerging, you know, uh, in various parts of the city uh, in Accra. Um, Bernard, I don't know if you remember, but. Uh, uh, Last year or two years ago, uh, when we spoke, I predicted that this was going to happen, and and that this this is a is a, a strategy that they need to to pursue, and that's because 
a lot of Ghanaian shoppers are very comfortable with the corner shop model. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole segment that, you know, just focuses on the corner shop. And if you're a big supermarket and you can scale down uh, and take your shops into the communities, you're breaking into a market segment that uh, you've been missing out on. And that's exactly what Malcolm is doing. And so it will be interesting to see how this trend, you know, uh, uh, picks up. But I think I think what the likes of Malcolm and Co are doing are really fascinating. There's also China, which is a very special category because we we know that a lot of small retail, small scale retailers, your likes of corner shops uh, uh, and the like, sometimes go to to China Mall to go and 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 buy their products to go and resell in their small container shops. Now, this advantage uh, that China Mall has uh, may not last, you know, uh, uh, may not last long, and and. The main reason, again, is the way GRA is aggressively pursuing uh, uh, taxing these big supermarkets. So the, um, the, the, the China Mall's ability to continue to sell to retail at wholesale pricing, which is what allows them to serve as, you know, basically a platform for small uh, corner shops to go and buy and resell. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's an advantage that I don't I think is being eroded uh, by by GRA's aggressive you know tax drive. So it, that's an interesting space to watch. I'm not sure that they can continue to do that for for a very long time uh, if they have to do proper tax compliance. Um, but yes, the big story in the big supermarket sector is that the big foreigners are packing out and and the big local supermarkets are expanding. And, and, and it's a story that's really fascinating. Uh, and, and the main reason is that the locals have grown organically with the market. We think that over the long run, the supermarkets will lose some market share back to traditional retail and probably to online. And again, it's all down to the tax issue. If GRA sustains the tax compliance drive, um, the supermarkets will increasingly lose a lot more market share and uh, it will be, we'd like to see how this whole dynamic evolves, say, over the next two, three years. This is our City Business Festival on Air series, and we're talking to Michael Koto, who is the lead consultant at uh, Confidence. We're looking at the changing scene of the Ghanaian retail market. Some very important insights have been the, put out the traditional retailers, the Mokolos, the corner shops, the Cantamantos, and the KJTS have been resilient, partly because they enjoy tax arbitrage. Second big story is that the multinational uh, retail brands have packed out. CTDI is out, game is out. But the, the local ones are doing very well. Melcom, China Mall, and to an extent, Palace. When we come back, we'll look at what the e-commerce means for the retail space. Stay with us.
Welcome back to our discussion on the changes in the retail market. My guest is Michael Koto. Michael, very important insight to raise in the first part. So your prediction is that if the tax efficiency from GRA continues, the advantage of the large supermarkets like Malcolm and Palace and China Mall in particular would not last. Let's work our way to the third group, the, the online or e-commerce platforms. What are your observations? So online is really where the most exciting action is in, in Ghana's retail sector at the moment. And it's for a couple of reasons, and I'm going to go over them. I'll just very quickly say that, you know, when we say online, we're talking of three main um, segments to the online. There's your classic e-commerce, you know, online platform. So that's a, like a junior, right? That's a classic e-commerce platform. And then you have seller to buyer marketplaces. Um, seller to marketplace buyer places are, you know, platforms like Gigi, platforms like Pronaton when it was very prominent. They just connect buyers and sellers. And, you know, it's almost like classifieds, right? People can put their products there. You find someone who is interested in a product and then the two of you can transact. And then there's the third segment of online, which is social media. And social media, uh, we all know, um, you know, your Facebook, your Instagram, WhatsApp, which are like the three most prominent ones. So there's a lot going on in these three sub online segments that are really fascinating. Now, um, before, I, I would I would also add perhaps that there's, uh, there's another segment, which is that the big supermarkets, some of them are rolling out online shops, right? So Malcolm and Palace have online shops, but I won't go too much into this because um, the, the level of activity is restricted because it's a closed system, right? It's a lot of the activity that is really related to their own it's just an online version of what they do offline. So I'm really going to focus on classic e-commerce platforms and, and marketplaces and social media. So in the last decade, if you take um, uh, the e-commerce and, and, and you know marketplace platforms, I think Tonaton and OLX were very prominent in the last decade, but they've, they've declined. The ones that we've seen really thriving now are the likes of Blue and Haptel and Jumia to some extent. And these are interesting. Um, uh, Tonatoin and OLX declined mostly. I, th I think it was mostly due to their, you know, a lot of this was fraud. There was a lot of fraud being perpetrated on these sites and credibility and, you know, mar marketplace integrity was very low. So consumers lost confidence in these, in these marketplaces, connecting buyers and sellers. Um, but what we're seeing is uh, the emergence of platforms that are trying to rectify this trust deficit, which was a problem for Tonato and Wellex and the rest. And we're seeing Junior, Global, Haptel, and the rest are coming in with more integrated market platforms. And what I mean by integrated market platforms is what you used to have on Tonaton was that it was just connecting buyers and sellers. Tonaton didn't have any liability for whatever happened. You were on your own. If you saw a phone on Tonaton and you wanted to buy it, um, you were on your own. Panaton was just a place for you to come and just find a seller or a buyer. But the likes of Global and Haptel and Jumia are providing more integrated platforms. So they allow you to find something you want to buy or to, to display a product to sell. But they also have integrated payments and delivery logistics, which is that you're able to pay for the product 